This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. everybody. Welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm Erica Anderson, and today I have the honor of speaking with Kelly Clementi. I talked to Kelly about a really tough time in her life when she had an unexpected pregnancy and placed her son Alex up for adoption. We talk about all that went into that situation and the heart-wrenching decision she made to choose a new family for him. We also talk about Kelly's upcoming project where she's working in the industry of abstinence, and I just can't wait for you to hear what's on her heart. She is one of the sweetest, most genuine people I've ever met. It has been such a fun time getting to know her, and as you'll hear in the episode, we uh, we kind of met in a very random, coincidental way. Uh, so please enjoy my conversation with Kelly Clementi. Hey everyone, we're so glad you're here today. I am so excited to be talking to Kelly Clemente. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so inspired by the work you're doing in adoption advocacy and sort of your personal story behind that. So before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, what you're doing now, and, uh, and then we'll kick it off with some questions. Sure. Sounds good. First, thank you so much for having me, Erica, and thank you all so much for listening to her awesome podcast. My name is Kelly Clementi. I am always asked where I asked, where did you grow up? And my father's military, so it's hard to answer that question, but um, I've lived all over the east and west coast of the United States. It was never We were never stationed overseas. Um, but my father was a naval aviator, and my mom was a flight attendant, and I am perfectly content to live the majority of my life on stable ground, <laughs> unlike my parents. Um, right now, I am living in the beautiful city of Charleston, South Carolina. I've only been here for a couple months, and I have actually been going around to different cities sharing my story about how my sister was adopted into our family and then I placed a child for adoption nine years later when I was 18 and how I now work in the realm of adoption advocacy and also abstinence advocacy. All right well so let's just tell the story about how we met which I think is so funny. So I used to work, at, as many people know, I used to work at the Daily Signal, which is a, uh, a news website, and, and I'm still very friendly with all the, all the people over there, and one of my good friends, Kelsey Harkness, she's a video producer, and she had produced this video about a girl who had um, been involved in adoption, you'd had a baby, um, and, and put him for adoption, and I saw that video and I thought it was so moving and so inspiring. And I thought your story was just so great. And I shared the video personally, just because I loved it. And uh, but I didn't know you or anything. And then we somehow both ended up in this random Facebook group together, um, called the mic drop workshop, where we were both taking a video class on how to be better public speakers. You had uh, written kind of what you were working on in the group. And I said, wait a second, this is the girl from the video that the Daily Signal put out. 
And so you and I connected and uh, started conversing back and forth and just kind of realized that we had some things in common. And so I just thought it was kind of the funniest thing that we both happened to be in that group. Such a small world. And Kelsey Harkness, if any of your listeners have not heard of her, look her up. She's amazing. And she does amazing videos. And I felt like she did a phenomenal job sharing my story with the world. All right, Kelly. Well, let's get in a little bit to your story now. We've already said... You had an unexpected pregnancy when you were 18 years old, and choosing adoption must have been, I mean, such a hard decision, uh, an incredibly inspiring decision for sure. I I always uh, look to uh, moms who choose adoption as some of the bravest, most courageous people that I have ever met because I cannot imagine how hard it would be, but how, you know, strong you would have to be to make that kind of a decision. So, Can you take us back to that time in your life and how you felt when you found out you were pregnant and what led to your decision of choosing adoption? Definitely. So I will have to say that I am blessed to have two parents that are um, conservative Catholics. So they um, had me growing up in a household that was extremely pro-life. And I grew up doing things like volunteering at crisis pregnancy centers. And in my mind, abortion was never an option. If you're pregnant, then you find a different option. And so when I found out that I was pregnant at 18, of course, I was overwhelmed and I was scared and definitely can't say that I felt courageous at all in that moment. But I did know that abortion was off the table from day one. Um, So I actually made the decision the day that I found out that I was pregnant that I would choose adoption. And I have my parents to thank for that. And also my little sister. Um, When I was nine years old, she was adopted into our family. Um, She is of Guatemalan descent. So she definitely has more tan skin than I do. Um, But I just thought of her face and I thought of the joy that she brought to our family and the love that we were, we were able to provide for her and the things that our family was able to provide for her. And it was, it was such an easy decision at that point. Um, since I, I was not married and I knew that my child deserved a stable family. And for me, stability means a married mother and a father. And I was not, um, and a place to provide that to a child. Was there ever any pressure from any direction to choose abortion? There was. I specifically remember a man that I went to, a young man. He was a boy back then. Um, Hopefully he has blossomed into a man. But he (laughs) made this very terrible comment that if if I did not choose abortion, he would lose all respect for me. And, um, and it just made me realize that there is going to be opposition to keeping this baby. And, um, there, there, there was other opposition, but it wasn't as blatant as what I heard from him. Um, the opposition that I received was usually something along the lines of like, I, I can't believe that you're doing this. How could you do this? How could you make this decision? Um, so people was- were really judgmental about the fact that you were actually 
choosing adoption like because pe- because people can't people can't imagine having a baby and and then letting go of that child is that is that some of the judgment you were getting yes i think that because i was raised in a middle class family we you know I, we were not we wouldn't i wouldn't have classified us as poor or you know living in terrible circumstances so when my friends found out that i was pregnant they were like oh well obviously you know your parents are going to help you raise this child and and you're going to be a single mom. In my mind, that was not an option. My mom was very sick at the time. And I also wouldn't have wanted to put that responsibility on my parents. I really didn't think that that would be fair to them nor to this child that I was going to give birth to. Yeah, I mean, that that goes to, I mean, say so much just that money is not the only thing that matters to a child. And um, you were thinking beyond money, you were thinking about family stability and having two parents and all of the things that come along with that. Yes, it was very important for my child to have not only what I had growing up, but to have even more. And Um, And like I said, I was blessed to have parents who were married for the entire time that I've been alive and um, and they raised me in the church. And and I just I I, they set the bar very high. So I knew that if I couldn't provide my child with at least that much, then I needed to choose adoption and to place that child in a family where where he had as good, if not better of a chance at success that that I did. And what was it like going through pregnancy, you know, feeling this baby grow and knowing that at the end of the journey, you were going to be giving him to a family? What was that like? And then what was it like at the day that he was born? And and how did that look for you? How did you feel that day? Oh, man. So it's been 10 years, but I can still remember feeling him kick and having so many conversations with him. And and just telling him, whispering to my belly, because I was in college at the time. So I would go to my community college classes, and then I would sit in my car. And a lot of times, my my alone time with him would be in my car before I drove home after class. And I would sit there, and I would look at my belly, and I would, I would say, Alex, I hope that you understand why I have to make this decision. And I just love you so much. I couldn't love you more than I love you. And I hope that one day you can understand um, why I'm having to make this decision. And he just, he was my buddy. I just would rub my belly and I, it felt so good to feel like I wasn't alone. Like I wasn't going through the pregnancy by myself and it kind of felt like, he was my, he was just my partner, my buddy. And, um, I remember after having Alex, I remember feeling an emptiness that, um, the way that I describe it, the best, the most comparable thing that I can describe to people is, um, women who have had stillbirths. It feels like, like a death because you've carried this child for nine months. You've loved this child with, everything that you have and then you don't get a chance to look at this baby or raise this baby or see any of these first moments and even though he did not die he's with two amazing parents and I knew he was in a wonderful place there is still 
a grief process that birth mothers have to go through and it's real and it's intense and it's really unfair for people to um, to brush that aside. And I think in our society, we blame the birth mother. We say, well, it's your fault that you got pregnant. You made this decision. You chose to get pregnant. You chose to place this child for adoption. You have no right to grieve. And if I could say anything, about what what society gets wrong about birth mothers, it's that. And we really need to allow birth mothers um, that time, that time to grieve this loss. So when you look at look back at your life and that time in your life, um, how do you see it having shaped the whole of your life and where you are now? And I know that you have a relationship with your son still. Um, so tell us a little bit about those things. So One thing that really changed in my life through my pregnancy was my faith. So I grew up in, like I said, a Catholic family. We went to church every Sunday. Religion was a big part of my life, especially since I went to Catholic school growing up. Understanding Catholicism, understanding um, that religion very well. However, I did not have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ, who I now call my Lord and Savior, until I was pregnant at 18. So through a series of events, I ended up turning to Bethany Christian Services. They were the adoption agency that I chose to handle the my pregnancy and the adoption. And they're the ones that connected me to Dave and Sean Hansen, who are fabulous, fabulous parents to my dear birth son. Um But Bethany Christian Services, they really opened my eyes to to the Lord in a new way, a fresh way. They walked with me through the most difficult time in my life, and through their love of me and care for me, I understood that God is more than a religion. God is a person, and He became a person through Jesus Christ, and I'm able to have this amazing relationship with him. And so I would say that out of everything that changed for me through the pregnancy, that was the main thing. And I just really have to thank Bethany Christian Services for that. They treated me very well. And I honestly only have positive things to say about them. As for my relationship with Alex and his parents, it's phenomenal. I really couldn't ask for a better relationship. It is an open relationship, meaning that not only do I get um, emails from them, pictures from them, I also get to see him. And every everyone always asks me, they're like, well, how often do you get to see him? Do you see him once a year? Do you see him every six months? Do you see him once every 10 years? What I love about Alex's parents is that we have a very spontaneous type of relationship. So the way our relationship works is if there is something really exciting going on in my life, for example, when I graduated from graduate school, I'll let her know what's going on and she does everything in her power to make it happen. And even one time she found out that I would be speaking at the Heritage Foundation, which ironically you worked there and she also used to work there at the time that she adopted. Oh, wow birth sign. So you all have that in common too. It's this weird thread with Heritage Foundation. (laughs) Um, But when she found out that I was speaking in April 2018, she booked a flight and flew out just to see me speak with Alex. And um, 
just things like that really show me that she doesn't have to be involved in my life. She chooses to be involved in my life and nothing can, nothing can top that feeling really just knowing that the adoptive family doesn't just tolerate me. They, they love me and want to be a part of my life. So when you uh, were working with Bethany and you were making those decisions, did you, you specified that you wanted to wanted an open adoption. Is that right? Absolutely. I knew that I wanted an open adoption. Part of that is because my sister and her birth parents have a closed adoption. And I grew up knowing that my sister had a lot of questions and my parents had a lot of questions. These questions were unable to be answered because of the closed nature of the adoption. So I wanted I wanted his parents and him to be able to reach out to me with any medical questions, um, genetic questions, anything like that. And did you envision it as it has become? Did you think it would be such a such a wonderful relationship as it is with his family? Absolutely not. I thought that they would call me maybe every three to five years and call me with some sort of medical question, ask me, hey, do you have an allergy to gluten? Because Alex is showing signs of having this allergy. It, it is nothing like that. She calls me to just talk about his progress in school. And I'll call her and talk about the speaking engagements that I'm doing. And she honestly has become a very dear friend of mine. And I always thought that we would have more of a I guess you could call it a professional relationship, but Mm -hmm. it really, she feels like family to me. And so do her husband and her other children as well. So um, I'm wondering if you could tell us, because I can't, I can't imagine making that kind of a decision, but what was it like to choose a mother for your son? And what was it like when you met her and how did you make that decision? Oh, Oh my gosh. It brings tears to my eyes, honestly, because When I saw their profile, first of all, I'll say that there were 40 profiles for me to sift through. And when I saw her and her husband together, they just radiated love for each other and radiated this love for the Lord that I actually didn't even have at the time, but I was attracted to it. When I read through her profile, she said that she had a master's degree in communications and that she was involved in the Heritage Foundation. And um, I was just reading through her hobbies and interests and that of her husband. And I thought to myself, this is the type of woman that I want to be someday. And it makes me emotional because I hadn't really thought about that in a long time, but I'm now someone that does have a master's degree. I received my bachelor's degree in communications, and I'm doing a lot of work with the Heritage Foundation, which she poured her heart and soul into when she was exactly my age, 29. Um, I'm 29 now, and she adopted Alex when she was 29. So um, I just feel like God is so good, and he put that desire in my heart to be more like her. And now I can say 10, 11 years later that... um, that that's happened is such a beautiful story of God just like working something out that, you know, it felt like it wasn't supposed to be at first, but then it, you know, became this beautiful, like it's almost like a circle of life (laughs) had that view of her. And then she ultimately really inspired sort of your path. It's really cool to see 
see how life plays out. And I really think it's a testimony to girls that are maybe going through something like this, or they feel like things are never going to get better. And, and they do. <laughs> they and, really do. And what do you think about, about the messaging that's where abortion has become so mainstream? And so it's just another choice. Like, what are your thoughts on that when you, when you see that? I'll start by saying that I have a ton of friends in my circle that, um, that have political beliefs that are different than me. And I, I would never shame them or disrespect them in any way. Um, I have a handful of friends that have had abortions and that have talked to me about that experience. And, um, and it's heartbreaking. It's not, I, I don't, I try not to think of it from a political perspective because this isn't something that's political to me. It's, it's a life and it's, you are, abortion gives a woman the opportunity to either continue a life or to stop a life. And I think that that is way too heavy of a burden for a woman to have. And um, a lot of women that are facing this decision, they will either not tell the father of the growing child or they will tell the father of the growing child and the father will say, um, well, this is your decision. You make the choice. And when he says that, he's really absolving himself from any responsibility, any, yeah, just basically throwing his hands in the air and saying, well, you know, if he, she chooses abortion, that's not my fault. And it's really unfair. And I just feel like this, I feel this huge, huge, huge burden on women. And it definitely, it hurts my heart because my friends that have, have gone through abortion, I don't hate them. I, I understand those feelings of being pregnant and being scared out of your mind and not having a man come alongside you to say, hey, babe, let's do this together. Let's have this baby. I'll, I'll get a second job. I'll get a third job. I'll do whatever I need to do to be able to provide a family for you and this child. Um, I think that that the problem is not, it's hard to really place your finger on exactly what the problem is, but I do have to say that I think that men need to step up and they need to, to take these situations with more weight than they're taking them and to not absolve themselves from responsibility, but do the opposite, to take responsibility and to tell this female in their life that they will do whatever it takes for her to choose life. And in order to do that, then he might get uncomfortable. He might have to um, to step out and be courageous, but that's what men are called to do. Um, God created men to be courageous and strong. And when a, when they're, the woman in their life is pregnant, that's the opportunity for them to step up, not to step down. It's not political. And, and that's why I too, sometimes almost, you know, shy away from getting involved in, in the political side of it or the legal side of it, because it just seems so disconnected from the human side or from the, you know, from this, from the, uh, the story of the mother and the, and the life of the child, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit together very well. And, um, so I, I appreciate you saying that. And I think it's so true. And I too have friends that have, that chose abortion and such a difficult place to be. And, and I think there is sometimes a misconception out there that those of us who are pro-life 
don't get that. I want to hear a little bit more, Kelly, about what you're doing next. I know that you've been doing some speaking engagements. You've been, um, like you said, you just you just did a speaking engagement at Heritage. You have another one coming up, I think, um, somewhere else, and you're starting a new venture. So can you tell us a bit about it? I have been doing these speaking engagements that are very um, pro-adoption, specifically pro-faith-based adoption. And Adoption is always going to be something that I advocate for, but I was really just seeking the Lord and asking him, hey, like, how could we get ahead of this? Because as much as I love adoption, I would prefer for, you know, adoption to not have to be uh, adoption or abortion to be something that is so, you know, at the forefront of our minds. It seems like we should get ahead of this whole issue. How can we do that? But the answer to that is abstinence. I know that abstinence is this word where people kind of cringe over it. It's not a very attractive word. Um, but, you know, I'm someone that's 29. I'm single. I've never been married. And the Lord has, you know, convicted me that kissing outside of marriage, anything outside of marriage is not his plan for my life. So, it's, it's a scary thing to talk about sex. It's a scary thing to talk about abstinence, but um, but the world is talking about it. You turn on the television and premarital sex is, is in your face 24-7 if you're someone that watches television. So, um, so I have decided to um, try to be a voice to that and to speak about my experience of walking that out. So the ministry that I have started that I'm in the process, very early stages of starting, it's called Chased After, C-H-A-S-T-E, After. And this is meant to be a ministry for women that have given their virginity away either through their own volition or it's been, you know, taken from them, God forbid, by rape or something else. And this is a chance for them to reclaim their purity and to say, hey, I'm not perfect or, you know, my life does not look perfect, but I want to rededicate myself to a life of purity. And it's not to shame women. It is really to build women up. And I, in my mind, I think of it as true feminism. This is a completely different type of feminism that empowers women to know their worth. Can you give us a little insight into your mind about why is that important and why why should that be something that people consider? Regardless of whether or not you've grown up in the church, I think that most people would agree that sex is more than a physical act, right? Um, sex between two humans is different than sex between two animals. It's not just something that we do to procreate. It is something that involves emotions, deep emotions. And sex is something that bonds two people together. And um, something that I actually read recently is that um, not only does sex bond people together chemically, but even kissing does. So when your saliva mixes with someone else's saliva, it creates a chemical bond with that person. And when I read that, blew my mind, and I just realized, wow, humans do not realize that it is so easy for us to be bonded to someone else. And it's so easy for us to stay in a relationship that is built on lust, 
rather than love. I see it happen all the time. I think they're bonded to that person on a chemical level. It's hard for them to see it. It's hard for them to get out of the abusive relationship, to get out of that toxic relationship. And saying no thank you to anything physical before marriage, I think really allows you to view a relationship in a sober way. And I'm not talking alcohol. I'm just talking just having that clarity of mind that can only come from saying no to physical acts. Yeah. And you know what I think is interesting? I mean, it's, um, you know, it was, it was one of these uh, articles about like, you know, college says that saying yes to consent isn't enough or something like that. But somebody had tweeted, wow, it's almost as if, you know, sex should be done in the confines of a committed relationship legally signed on paper. <laughs> because that's, that sounds like what people are asking for, almost. Do you know what I mean? This should be making people think a little bit harder about why is it that that we're having these problems. Like, you, you're hearing God following him. I mean, I think this is something that um, is probably very needed for some people. So I think that's really cool. What What's the uh, timeline and, and have you launched and, and how can people learn more about it? So I have not launched yet. I'm still in the beginning process of building my blog and social media and everything. But if anyone is interested in supporting this ministry, they are more than welcome to visit um, my website. Right now it's redirecting to my funding page, but eventually it will switch from the funding page over to my website once I have um, content available. But the website is chasedafter.org. So that's C-H-A-S-T-E-A-F-T-E-R.org. Okay, very cool. Okay, just a couple more questions, Kelly. Um, if you were to, and, and you may be speaking to someone listening right now, but if you were speaking to someone who, say they are 18, say they're a freshman in college, say they found themselves in that exact position that you were in, and they have this decision to make, and maybe they're getting pressure to choose one thing over another, what would you say to someone that's feeling scared and doesn't know what to do? For starters, I would simply want to listen to them. I think that one thing that we get caught up on is, you know, what do I say to this person that's going through this specific thing? And the reality is everyone is so different. Everyone's circumstance is completely different. Even another woman that was raised in a conservative Christian family that is considering adoption, even that girl has a completely different perspective on reality than I do. So so number one, I think that all of us need to take a step back in those situations and just, just listen. Ears over mouth. <laughs> <laughs> For the first, um, at least at least in the beginning. Um, I, one thing that really affected me out of all the conversations I had when I was 18 and pregnant, one conversation stuck out to me the most. And it was with a woman who um, was raped as a teenager and conceived. And um, her parents actually sent her away to a maternity home and for unwed mothers. And she had her child and placed that child up for adoption. And and I had this conversation with her where I'm asking her all these questions because she had gone through this and seen the other side of it. She's now married with children of her own. 
And I told her, you know, well, it's different for you because you were raped. And for me, you know, I consented to, you know, quote unquote, safe sex with a condom that the condom broke. And that's how I wound up pregnant. But I consented to sex for you. You didn't consent. So it's it's almost easier to forgive that, you know. And for me, I just felt this overwhelming guilt that I had made this awful decision to have premarital sex. And my question to her was, how will anyone love me after this? And she looked at me and she said, Kelly, a lot of men are going to pass you up because of this experience that you're going through right now. But you know what? That's a good thing because there's a lot of men in this world and you don't need all of them in your life. But the right man for you is going to look at your past and he's not going to see it as baggage. He's going to see it as life experience and he's going to love you more because of it. So if I could speak to a teenager who's pregnant and scared and maybe she's considering adoption, maybe it's abortion, what I would tell her is that, is that there is a God, that God loves her so much, and that one day, if it is in her heart to get married, that that man will respect her and will see her baggage, not as baggage, see her past as life experience. And um, that's just something that I've carried with me and I have definitely, it sets the bar pretty high. So maybe that's why I'm 29 and still single, but I'm not willing to settle for someone that, that doesn't respect me or respect my decision. I'm going to move on to our last few questions. And I sent you these, so hopefully you've had a minute to think about them. If you could have a dinner party or a cocktail hour with only three people, living or dead, who would they be? I did read this question, and it's hard because there's so many amazing people that are living and dead. But I would have to say Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Robin Williams. (laughs) I love it. What I figure that Robin Williams sitting at him at a table would be like having 37 different dinner guests because oh he gosh. has such, yes. such a wealth of different personalities inside of him. And plus, if I could if I could have anyone who has committed suicide just plead with Jesus to be able to, you know, to wrong to right any of the wrongs committed, I would want it to be Robin Williams. It would be so cool to see the dynamic between the three of them because it seems like Jesus and Mary had this this super unique relationship because as some of you may know that are listening to the podcast when Jesus came back to life, the first person that he appeared to was Mary Magdalene. So that to me denotes a very strong relationship. And he trusted her to go out and share the news with with the whole world. So I, I just would love to see their dynamic. And I would just you know, love to see Robin Williams and to see him ask Jesus questions and, and to just be his, his goofy self or maybe his, you know, sad, depressed, real self. Either one would be interesting for me. Yes. That's, I love that answer so much. Okay. Have you read any books or seen any shows, movies, listen to any podcasts lately that you would like to share with us? So two things come to mind. I have been listening to a podcast called Terrible Thanks for Asking. Have you heard of it? <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. If you have not heard of it, you should definitely look it up. It's very intense. It's it's basically 
um, a podcast about people that have gone through unthinkable things. And then when, you know, there's that proverbial question of, well, how are you doing today? And she, she, the, the people that come on this podcast, if they were being honest, they would say, Terrible. Thanks for asking. (laughs) Well, I'm going to check that out because I am always on the hunt for a new podcast to try. So that is going to be on my list for this week. Okay. Last question. Best advice or wisdom you've ever received? Definitely one of the best pieces of wisdom I received was what I already shared from the woman that told me that the right man will see my past as life experience and not as baggage. Um, but also I would have to say, um, I love the Bible and in Romans five, it talks about suffering and how suffering, um, produces character and character produces perseverance and perseverance produces hope and a better advice giver than the Lord. And I know that all the suffering that I've been through with, the pregnancy and placement and those feelings of grief and loss, I know that it has made my character stronger and has produced this perseverance in me. And and I have hope that that things are going to get better after this, and they have. So I, that would just be the last thing that I would like to leave the listeners with, to just continue having that hope. Awesome. I love that. And we will be linking everything up in the show notes that we talked about today. So thank you so much, Kelly, for chatting with me a little bit and just sharing your heart. I really appreciate you just being so open about such personal things in your life. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. Hey guys, wasn't Kelly so sweet and just so kind to share her heart with us? I'm so thankful that she was open to being so vulnerable and just giving us an inside look at what it feels like to be a birth mom. I hope that you'll check out her new venture, which we'll be linking all of that stuff in the show notes and any way that you can get in touch with Kelly if you want to send her a few words of encouragement or let her know that you like the episode. Uh, If you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would go to iTunes, leave a rating and review that helps us be seen. And uh, we'll see you next Tuesday on Worth Your Time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.